This week, we talk about Nazi werewolves, the EPA caught in more lies, Amuamua, and Ivy League paranormal investigations. This is the Metaphysical Connections Paranormal News of the Week with Jason Cousineau and Eric Renderkin-Fisk on November 10th, 2018. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. So do we want to talk about the elections? No. No, we don't want to talk about it. <laughs> but the thing is, is that when I'm driving around um, and I do talk to other people, people say, what do, you, what do you talk about on the metaphysical connection? Give me your elevator pitch. And I say, well, for the paranormal news of the week with Jay Cousineau, I think that that's actually going to be the name of the show now. Paranormal news of the week with Jay Cousineau. Um, cool. And, uh, <laughs> and, and the thing is, is and I said, we have a lighthearted, not too serious conversation about the paranormal, unexplained phenomenons, uh, government cover-ups, and conspiracy theories. Basically, those are the four major food groups. The only reason why we're going to talk about the, the midterm elections is we're going to talk about, um, for a couple of minutes, the deep state and disclosure. And a lot of the people that I like to listen to, if you get a chance, listen to Jimmy Dore. Um, he's a little bit on the liberal side. Maybe he's, he's definitely more liberal than you and I, and he Mm -hmm. has some really great guests that I'd like to have on our show talking about the deep state. And one of the things that Jimmy Dore had said, I think on his podcast or Twitter, um, it doesn't matter who, who gets elected. Uh, the deep state is still in charge. And when I say the deep state, we're talking about the military-industrial complex, mm-hmm. lobbyists, large corporations that donate vast sums of money thanks to Citizens United. These people are still in control of the government. Right. I don't. I don't refer to them as the deep state when I'm talking with other people okay. because it has a, the smell of conspiracy theory about right. it. Right. I refer to it as the great bureaucracy. Okay. Because the truth of the matter is, is having spoken with someone who actually served in federal Congress for, I want to say it was three terms. Anyway, um, in talking with him, he was like, dude, you have, you have no idea. He's like, your first, you, almost your entire first term, you really don't know what's going on. Yeah. You're just doing what you're told. And everyone, when they, when they show up in Congress, regardless of what party they belong to, are asked, who are you going to caucus with? Right. Now, obviously, if you're a Democrat, you're going to, they don't bother asking. You're just caucusing with the Democrats. They just know. They just know. But if you're, yeah, if you're in any third party, you are asked, which camp are you in? And you can't, you really can't say, I'm in my own camp. Yeah. Because they basically say, well, who are you going to be siding with most often? Yeah. And then they put you in that, which means they're the ones that provide for your office space. They're the ones that provide you with a the staff. They're the ones that provide you with um, your schedule. They're the ones that basically they kind of lobby to put you on certain committees and things like that. So the bureaucracy is really in charge. Yeah. Um, they're, the bureaucracy is the aides and all of that that do the writing and the reading of the bills. They give synopses of those bills to the Congress critters and the Congress critters then cast a vote. And in some cases they're even making recommendations that depending on the Congress, the individual Congress critter, 
they're paying attention to yeah. and saying, okay, well, I am going to vote for this or I'm not going to vote with this for this based on what this aide said about it. Because, for example, like Nancy Pelosi, we for years were giving Nancy Pelosi crap about saying that we have to pass the legislation to see what's in it. Yeah. When the truth of the matter is, is not a one of those bastards ever reads any of the legislation. So the deep state, if you want to call it that, is a very, very, very real thing. Yeah. It is. It, it exists. Anyone who says it doesn't, doesn't understand how, how our government works. And I frankly didn't until I spoke with this person who had actually served in Congress. And uh, part of me wasn't surprised. <laughs> really wasn't. But as far as, um, as far as like, who's going to do more disclosure? Personally, I think it depends on the individual. I don't think it's a, I don't think that is a party thing. I would love to know what the government knows about UFOs. But the government has plans to accommodate for other things as well. Yeah. And I would love to know some of that other stuff. Like, for example, the government, as you know, was involved with Skinwalker Ranch, which is down the road here a few hours. Yeah. Um, Let's go. So, yeah, I would love to know what they know about that. I would love to know what they know about. Um, they've done, the government has done studies looking for various cryptids, including the Thunderbirds and um, Bigfoot um, within the borders of the U.S. So um, there are, I've, I've heard people say that they actually did a study looking for Chupacabra down in the Southwest. I don't know if I, I haven't, I've only heard people talk about it. I haven't seen any, anything that would lead me to believe that they actually did conduct a blood sucking goat or goat blood sucker or they found something weird it is. and yeah and, you know and hey listen reach out to them see if they want to be on the show and uh uh and i'm also curious I to see years i'll have to see if i can find their number yeah uh yeah. i think that it's amazing how um a republican or a democrat from certain parts of the country can reach out and say, we want disclosure. We want to know what the government knows about these things, whether it's Area 51, Skinwalker Ranch, what's buried in Eric's backyard, whatever. <laughs> what does the government know? And a Republican in one part of the country could say, we want full disclosure. And a Republican in another part of the country had, would say, uh, it's all about the baby Jesus, and and we have to like trust and believe that the baby Jesus is going to straighten everything out. Hallelujah! Because you got to pander to the evangelicals to certain parts yeah. of the country, and they could, and right. even though even if they would want to be able to come out and say, "Let's have full disclosure," what does the government know about aliens and and um, um, these strange abandoned bases on the other side of the moon? You couldn't say that's, that. That's where the that's where the two worlds collide, right? Yeah. Because you've got the deep state, and you've got the elected officials. Now you may have an elected official who's willing to take the chance that their constituents won't vote for them because they believe the truth is more important. Yeah. But then they've got that um, the bureaucracy in there that's like you don't want to you don't want to you really don't want to do that. That's gonna yeah. That's going to alienate you. You're not going to get on the committees. Your name will be mud. You won't even be able to get a job in the private sector. And they'll basically talk them out of it because the bureaucracy exists to preserve itself. Yeah. Now, I don't think there's anyone. Why I prefer using the term bureaucracy rather than deep state is deep state 
implies that there is a central governing body or there's yeah. a group of people making those decisions. Whereas with the bureaucracy, it's the individual parts of that conspiracy, if you will, yeah. that are actually making the decisions individually. And in some cases, they're at odds with each other. In other cases, they're allies. And overall, all they want, and all they want is they're pulling the strings of power and they just don't want anyone to know about it. No, absolutely yeah. not. Yeah, so. <sighs> so, yeah, no, it, it, it's. Uh, and one other thing I, I wanted to say, um, I'm glad it's over. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, I, oh gosh, I, yeah. I left the polling place and I was a little bit exuberant where I said, thank, thank you. It's over. I'm finished. I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> People looked at me like I was crazy. And well, I mean, and we know, we know the truth that I'm a little crazy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah you know, yeah. Um, yeah, we've seen the therapy bills. <laughs> I told Carol not to share those with anybody. Um, I didn't say Carol showed them to me. Oh, the truth comes out. So um, I'm glad that it's over. And the thing is, is that people that you never thought would win won. And, yeah. you, and there are some people who you thought that there's no way that this guy survives, there's no way that he gets reelected. It's all about the, it's all about the rhetoric. And one of the things that I had discovered is that um, the people who are able to win and survive, um, either get elected or get reelected, is that they profess love for the, the their region and they love everybody who lives in their state. Um, well, and the and, uh, and the losers are the ones who kept saying. People like called people who um, won't vote for them or who could who are from the other side. What you know, who they need those people from the other side to come over. They said, yeah. you know, I hate these people who are not going to, you know, vote for me. I hate I hate a certain segment of this population. I hate though yeah. those blanks um, they, well, and they lose. They they always lose. Yeah. And the thing that. The thing to remember is, you know, the I don't remember if it's like the, the, the going theory, but someone once told me that the midterm elections are about local issues, whereas the uh, the presidential elections are about national issues. Yeah. So for me personally, that's how I read the results of this election, because yeah. I honestly on the on the national level in the state of Utah, there really wasn't much changing. Um, Orrin Hatch had finally decided that, you know, you know, Thomas Jefferson told him he needed to retire at the appropriate time and yep. he should probably listen to him because they were childhood friends. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> when he designated, he basically designated Mitt Romney as his successor. Yeah. And the constituency f dutifully followed suit. So Mitt Romney was a shoe in to be the new senator from utah and of course he won yeah and that's really the only impact of the federal election that um i was really even following to any extent yeah other than that it was the you know did the republicans lose the house did the republicans keep the house did they keep the senate did they lose the senate blah 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 um simply because that is going to impact i think have more of an impact on the 2020 elections than anything else right yeah. um the other thing was the local things that passed. Like for us, one of the things that was a ballot item issue was 
should they raise the gas tax. Utah has one of the highest gas taxes in the country. We have a budget surplus that the governor likes to brag about, but apparently he doesn't like using it. So right. he wanted to raise taxes to pay for things. And we're like, dude, you've, you've got a budget surplus. Dig in. Yeah. If you have a project, then it's not a continuing project, which you're saying it's not. Then dig into that, pay for the crap, and then we'll replenish it. That's what it's there for. So um, that got shot down. I was very happy about that. And some other, you know, more localized minor crap. Uh, medical marijuana was legalized, which I'm not sure if that's going to impact me at all. Let's um, see what happens. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. I mean, I, I've mentioned I have uh, the PHN. So um, if 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 you know burning one up is going to help me deal with the pain for that, then I'm yeah. all for burning one up and dealing to help me deal with the pain. Yeah, yeah. So um, we'll see how it goes. So I mean, you know, politics are politics are politics. I think yeah. in terms of how it relates to the paranormal world, the the bureaucracy or the deep state still exists. It's always going to exist. I don't think anything short of a zombie apocalypse is going to change that. Um, it'll be interesting to see if there is, because there was, um, I, did, I, I forgot about that, that woman from, I think it was Florida that was running, who basically said, yeah, I've been abducted by aliens. Yeah, yeah. Um, did she win, do you know? I, I don't know. To check. I don't know. I, you know, that, that would have been an interesting thing. We should actually yeah, I just to check. I didn't think of it until now, actually. Have to, we'll have to check on that. That's Let what we have the interwebs here. for. Her name is Bettina Rodriguez Aguilera. Maybe she didn't make it past the primary. I don't know. Yeah, because I don't see anything past August. So maybe so she, yeah. she probably didn't. Yeah. But what I do see is, is that, and here's just another aside. Um, yeah. A lot of... Um, candidates who got celebrity endorsements lost yeah yeah that was that was interesting that was interesting to me i think again the the prevailing wisdom that the midterm elections are local i think is what we saw yeah. happen is uh, people in this election were covering their own local butts and you know um, anything on the national level that people advocated for probably got shot down yeah um i don't think that's like a blanket statement that can be made as being true but for the most part as i understand things i yeah. think that's how it planned out speaking of government though yeah epa that's as matter of fact that is one of our show topics jay jay is jumping around a little bit we were at this is going to be a second topic but we, he wants to he wants to well, say. Well, made a good segue. So, Come on. I, yeah, I was just about to say, <laughs> Jay Cousineau is a master of the segues, and I'm not talking about those silly little little two wheel go karts here. Well, I maybe rode you one are. of those once and fell on my ass. It was absolutely <laughs> hilarious, according to the video I had to delete. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll be we'll be sure to put that on the show page someday. Do you no, want? You won't. Do I you? No, 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 no. I got I got rid of the evidence. Okay. I learned. From I rich, learned from Richard Nixon. I always get rid of the evidence. Exactly. So. And we don't need any gaps in the tape or anything like that. Let's nope, nope, nope. let's read this nope. off here. Uh, do you want to take this? Do you want to? Jay, sure. would you like to read Court out Court orders ban of top-selling pesticides says EPA violated law, ignored scientific studies. Now, we do have to point out that this is not the same pesticide that, was, that showed up in 
all of the breakfast cereals. That's that a were herbicide. This is a completely that's, different. Yeah, yeah. that's an it's herbicide or a weedicide. Right. So this is actually something to get rid of pests, which is understandable why it shouldn't be in children's cereal. Exactly. But going forward, um, yeah. So it looks like the um, which court is it? Dang it, I lost it. The the Ninth Circus Court of Appeals. Yeah. In San Francisco, ordered the EPA to remove chlorpyr chlor. I if I'm G- if if of foes. If Jay can't pronounce it, you don't want it in your food. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. There's 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 like two vowels and the rest are all consonants. So yeah. yeah. It's one of those things. It is chlorophyllo Corpyrophos? Pyrophos. Yeah. So okay. it ties into UFOs too. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> so, so um I want to see if this pronunciation tool can help us with this can how do you pronounce yeah all right so apparently scott pruitt was the epa chief and then he resigned amid ethics scandals and then the ninth circus court of appeals um said that the epa under his authority or when he was when he was running things rather his administration um violated the law so they are going to ban because it causes any evidence of the residue has been found to cause neurodevelopmental damage to children. Yeah. Which, you know, <clears throat> everyone's talking about the anti-vaxxers that are out there. Yeah. Apparently they're anti-chloroporphyros, which is why anti-vaxxers is the term because no one can perform, can pronounce that. That's yeah. just, is, is that, Maybe the chloropyrophos are the are the evidence of alien, ancient aliens <laughs> visiting the earth. <laughs> you tried. Look like it was intended to be pronounced by the human mouth. What you, the hell you, is you, that? You tried. You you tried. By the way, let's just also interject here that the story that we're looking at this is this goes back from August 9th, but we did not for whatever reason. Um, this didn't, didn't come. It. This did not come across our desk until this week, and this is this is also as a part of a follow up of last week's show when we're talking about how the EPA and the FDA know these things. They know that these chemicals are dangerous, and they right. they break their own laws. They ignore their own scientists, and right. they put this in the. They, they use this stuff anyway knowing full well that it's harmful and you have to ask yourself this just reinforces what we said last week what else are they lying about right another i mean if and on this on this one article it says that the chlorpyrrols were created by dow chemical in the 1960s however it belongs to a family of organophosphate pesticides that are chemically similar to nerve gases developed in Nazi Germany before World War II. Is that not terrifying? Why would you think that would be okay to put anywhere near food? That just doesn't make any sense to me. And in a 2012 study, the University of California at Berkeley found that 87% of umbilical cord blood samples tested from newborn babies contained detectable levels of the pesticide. So that's after, if it's in an umbilical cord blood sample, that means it's been processed by the mother's body and then sent into the baby. 
It's still able so to clearly cross. it's staying in the system. Oh man. Cause think about it. What if you eat something and it has to go through your digestive tract, then it gets put into the bloodstream from the digestive tract. Cause yeah. that's what the blood, that's what the digestive tract does. And then the blood delivers that throughout the body. So it's yeah. been through all of the filters and it still has detectable levels of the pesticide. One thing I find interesting though, is it does not mention if those detectable levels are impactful. In other words, is there enough, they can detect that it's in there, but does that mean that it's bad? Does it mean that it's actually affecting yeah. things? I'm guessing that because they actually banned it, it probably does. Scary. It really is. And it gets back to the entire thing that we were talking about earlier about what is the government lying about? What are they keeping from us? But it sounds like with this this chemical, this chlorpurphyro, this this evil ancient Egyptian <laughs> god alien thing <laughs> that is showing up in the meta in in the food. This looks like just nasty crap, man. That just looks. Can, are we allowed to swear? Oh, uh, we have the explicit tag. We do. Okay. Yeah. yeah. This is nasty shit. Yeah. This is nasty shit. I mean, first of all, anytime you see Dow Chemical, it kind of gives me a little hinky feeling in the back end. Yeah. Let's just be careful we don't get sued or we don't want another yeah. threatening email or 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 a certified letter from somebody. So, yeah. whenever whenever, so. whenever you whenever you see a large mega corporation lawyer up, you know you know it's bad for you. And they don't want right. they don't want you to talk about this. So yeah. So but any, I don't know. Anytime you see me, a, a major corporation mentioned in the same article as a Nazi Germany thing, that also is pretty much a clear cut indication that some shit is going down in well, a not it, good fashion. Well, it kind of makes sense that you're using Nazi uh, nerve gas to kill insects on the food that we eat. It makes perfect sense. Yeah, it does. But at the same time, it's a fucking nerve gas, man. What the hell's wrong with you? I mean, come on. That's not a good thing. That's a horrible thing. That is, that's awful. I that is just, I don't know. If that's I'm... awful. Yeah. You see, now, I didn't, when we lived in Massachusetts, we actually had bat houses. Yeah. That we had, we had mounted on the house. And we had, um, we had plants in, in the yard that attracted bats. Yeah. Or more accurately, they attracted the bugs that bats ate. Yep. And we had a family of bats move in about a year after we bought the house. And it was great for maintaining the the bugs and, and you know, maintaining all of that. Mm -hmm. I had a neighbor growing up who had, who raised corn and he had, he used a, a similar kind of methodology where he didn't spray his corn with a bunch of chemicals he actually grew crops around the corn yeah. that attracted the birds and the, you know, the ones that the birds and the bats and the, the things that the predators that fed on the bugs that would infest the corn. Mm -hmm. So he did that to prevent the bugs from getting into and destroying his crop. And it seems to me that, you know, that knowledge is out there. There are natural solutions for it. I mean, I'm anyone who knows me is not going to say that I'm really, uh, you know, one of those granola tree huggers or anything. But 
I think, you know, nature exists and we should work with it as much as possible. Yeah. It just seems like the way to go, not deploying a nerve gas developed by Nazi Germany to kill little bugs. It just it's, seems it, like it's bad. <laughs> of the two. It's, of yeah. the two. One of these kids is nice, one of these is not. You know, uh, the Egyptian death god alien is just not a good one. No. Nope. So moving on to another topic here. Speaking of Nazis, uh, I thought this was amazing how, A, it's the Smithsonian who mentioned this, brought this up. And another thing is, is that it also mentioned a book that I have in the queue uh, that I'll be reviewing on the Fedora Chronicles side and posting a link to it on the Metaphysical Connection podcast page. Smithsonian shares with us an article the Nazi werewolves who terrorized Allied soldiers at the end of World War II. Uh, you know things are going bad when you have to uh, draft werewolves into your fight. Well, my question is this: Did they were were the werewolves like off to the side, and they you know they had to send out envoys to gather these werewolves, or did they like you know someone walk in on the night of a full moon and went Hans, was <laughs> with all the hair? You know, I mean, was it, did they already exist within the Nazi infrastructure? And then they just made like a special forces group out of them? Because, you know, let me just read. Firing minds want to know. <laughs> just going to read th- these little paragraphs here and see if whether or not we can get a chuckle out of here. Um, though the gorilla fighters, now, not the same gorilla like gorillas in the mist, different kind of gorilla. Let's start over. Though the guerrilla fighters didn't succeed in slowing the Allied occupation of Germany, they did sow fear wherever they went. From the start of the war, Hitler pulled from Germanic folklore and occult legends to supplement Nazi pageantry. High-level Nazis researched everything from the Holy Grail and the Lost Ark to witchcraft as historian Eric Clurlander describes in his book, Hitler's Monsters, A Supernatural History of the Third Reich, which is an amazing book. Among- I, I want to read that. Yeah. I want to read that. And it's for sale by Yale Books. Yep, but so. we, we also have a link to it on, uh, on the show page. Click on it and uh, buy it f- through Amazon, and we get a little taste of that. Um, I'm, I'm, among I'm those, that. Among those mythological fascinations were well worlds, Quote, according to some 19th and early 20th century German folklorists, werewolves represented flawed but well-meaning characters who were, who may be bestial, but they tried, but are tied to the woods and the blood of the soil. Also goes on to say, they represented German strength and purity against interlopers. It was an image Adolf Adolf Hitler harnessed repeatedly from the name of one of the Eastern Eastern Front headquarters, the Wolf's Lair, to the inter- implementation of Operation Werewolf in October 1944 plan for Nazi SS lieutenants Adolf Pizzelman and Otto, I'm not even going to pronounce his last name, Korinsky, to infl- infiltrate Allied camps and sabotage supply lines with a preliminary group. 
they already had provided value uh, value of such specialized strike in 1943. So they tried to like they, they tried to infiltrate the Allied camps and somehow blame it on werewolves. Like they left evidence of like werewolf marks. Well, hold on, and, hold on. Because yeah, go ahead. the things the thing we have to remember is that um, Hitler was very much into the occult yes um what we now call the paranormal they referred to as the occult back then so he was actually an occult aficionado they did send out people to look for things that they think might help them including the spear of destiny and the the lost ark so the raiders of the lost ark is based on actual history in terms of the nazis did have people looking for it yeah um same thing with the spear of destiny um we do know that hitler also and this is this is provable history hitler was he believed these things might exist and if they did he wanted them on his side and not working against him right so they actually sent people out looking for hyperborea uh which is a mythical land um actually kind of related to the legends of which inspired robert e howard to write his conan the barbarian series Mm -hmm. um but all of these legends were things that hitler was conversant with and he understood so he used the myths of of austrio germany the austrio germanic myths to inspire his people and those are things that we actually see in modern advertising in modern even a lot of like the movies and books that we read a lot of that is based off of common imagery that have been passed down through just stories over the years right i mean the other thing to point out is that every single culture all across the world has some form of shape shifter mm-hmm. whether it's a werewolf i mean the the hawaiians had stories about people that shifted into sharks for example yeah the Inuit, um, I think it's called the Auckland, was a, they actually believed that there were wolves that were these huge, massive wolves that could turn into orca when they got into the mm-hmm. water. So the concept of a, of a shapeshifter is something that's universal, which kind of makes you wonder, is it? <laughs> you know, is there, anytime I see mythology that goes across every single common or has is a common thread across a bunch of different cultures that in antiquity as far as we know were not in contact with each other it makes me question is this something that possibly did exist yeah. or was there something that existed that inspired that myth right and the shapeshifter is not something that we're commonly thought of as you know oh yeah there's this animal out there and you know we found the bones and look it used to do this yep there's nothing like that for shapeshifters, you know. Dragons. People think that, well, maybe it was, you know, the the old flying lizard thing, right? Uh, the their old parasaurs, or they saw the bones, or whatever. Yeah. Yep. You know, and so they think that that's where those myths came from. But, you know, I wonder about that. Is there, is there the possibility that there was some sort of creature? that existed that could walk on two legs and walk on four legs like a bear yeah i've seen bears no one's gonna ever think a bear is a human right you know if anything they look like big giant scary dogs yep so 
the the concept of a werewolf you know and and the shape shifting and you know there's all kinds of psychological impacts to why it seizes our imagination but i wonder why did those myths exist to begin with is it possible that there are werewolves out there sure yeah. it's possible i think it's more possible than that there's a werewolf than there is a vampire however that being said i've yet to see any evidence of it yeah. I would love to find evidence of that. Yeah, that would be. I would be, love to that, find out that science doesn't know everything, and we could just go <laughs> right there. Science, suck it. <laughs> we told you. We told you you wouldn't listen to us. Oh, I'm a conspiracy theorist. <laughs> well, look at that. I just want an apology. Yeah. I I just want an apology, and I just want somebody to say Eric was Eric's right. Yeah. Right. That's it. That's all right. I want. Say it, Jay. Say it. Oh, Eric Eric's was right. right. Say it Eric's again. Eric's right. Eric's right. There you go. <laughs> so, but it's the this whole thing. I mean, I'm kind of making light of it a little bit, but the truth of the matter is that we know Hitler thought these things existed, or there was a possibility that they did, and the commonality of certain imagery, like um, they they talk about um, where was it in the article here? They talked about the Operation Werewolf. And yep. um, the Easter Front headquarters was known as the Wolf's Lair. Um, what's the name? Rommel that was known as the Desert, known as the Desert Fox. He was known as. But we do see some common imagery associated with the SS, and wolves are part of that. Now, some people would say he's just drawing on the imagery because you know, with the Black Forest, which is one of the oldest forests that are that has been had common occupation with people that the wolves um in the black forest are are really they're just they're very large wolves the eastern yeah. european wolves are very big in size and that that is where that is more of the common thought process the the popular imagination that he was seizing was that image but i do wonder does he was did he actually think that i mean it says in here that scorzeni had actually led a small group of commandos to rescue benito mussolini and we can see echoes of that in our modern military where we yep. have small special forces groups small small in size because i've met some of these guys and they're not small they're yeah. huge there's like scary big people and it does make you wonder you know like the old pulp stories from the the 1920s that were the predecessors of the modern day superheroes you know, there's always stories of some sort of super spy going in and stopping the Germans from basically creating Frankenstein or a werewolf or yeah. vampires or whatever. It makes you wonder. Yeah. It makes you it wonder. It makes you wonder. It makes you wonder is like, were they were they just so desperate that they tried to use the lore against the allies or did they have something else? Or were they using it to inspire their own people? Maybe. Or, or yeah. a little bit of both. Or a little right? bit of both. Why not? Now, here's here's the other question, right? Like, I'm, I'm a Christian. Yeah. I believe the Bible. Uh -huh. I believe, you know, I believe in, in, in Christ. I believe that there is a God and that he had a son that came to earth and died for our sins. Mm -hmm. So how big of a stretch would it be for me or any Christian, really, to think that something like the Ark of the Covenant did exist? Exactly. Now, for me, the Ark of the Covenant would be a more easy 
pill for me to swallow than, say, the this Spear of Destiny. I, I don't think the Spear of Destiny is going to have any particular powers because it was used to basically pierce the side of Christ and kill right. him. And make Well, it didn't kill him. It made sure he was dead. But, right. you know, like, there are there's Christian mythology out there that says, like, you know, if you have a sliver of the true cross, that has some powers tied to it. Right. I think that's less likely. Of course, then there's the Holy Grail. Um which the mythology surrounding the Holy Grail is always something that I kind of was like, that makes no sense. You know, he went to, he went to a, think of it this way, right? He went to a restaurant and drank out of a cup. And then for some reason, that same cup happened to be in the possession of the soldiers that whipped and beat him. And then they used to capture his blood after oh, he died. Oh, no, no. It was one of the apostles who had the Holy Grail and caught the blood. So, so one of the apostles was a thief. I, is, guess, is that, I guess I guess I tend to not walk out of restaurants with silverware and, and dinnerware. Well, you know, but the thing is, is that what if it was at my house and you took my coffee yeah. mug and okay. caught my blood after? Still a thief. It's it's a little more understandable. I have I have yet to take any silverware or dinnerware from oh, anyone. Okay, of my friend's how, houses, okay. But. How about how about if I have dinner at your house? And then after I get in a horrible accident, it's your coffee mug that catches my blood. Right. Well, th that begs the question, why would you want to capture I don't know. That's just gross. I don't, <laughs> I, don't, I, I, don't I don't know. No offense. I love you, dude, but mm, not keeping any of your body parts. That's just not, not something I'm going to do. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And there is so many double entendres that we can go there, yes, yes, but, but we won't. We won't. <laughs> Ew. We're both children of the 80s. So anyway. Um, we will not make yeah, it. So I, I think I find this interesting because the Smithsonian's putting it out. Yeah. I find it also entertaining that the, the book itself is being sold by Yale Books, yeah. which means that they probably published it. Yes, they did. I have a copy. So, Yale isn't, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm on the Yale University Press, and I don't see a fiction category. Yeah. So, Well, I mean, it's mostly a book about Hitler's obsession with the occult, not so much about the occult in specifics, I guess. That's how they were able to get away with it. I mean, it's a fascinating book, and the thing is, is that this is exactly the book that you would expect Steven Spielberg and George Lucas to have on their bedside to leaf through every night before they go to sleep while they're pondering the idea of what they're going to do for the next Indiana Jones sequel. That's, it's one of those books, whereas it's like, here, here's another idea. Here's another idea for a movie, and here's another idea oh, yeah. for a movie. Um, well, I mean, I find it interesting that Indiana Jones, the those movies kind of skirted around the whole issue of the Thule Society, yeah. which the Thule Society was an actual society that existed amongst the German aristocracy. And Hitler joined the Thule Society at some point. Um, now, there is some debate on the historicity, on historical accuracy. Did he actually join the Thule Society or not? Because... As I understand it, he himself was not a member of the aristocracy. He was tied to the aristocracy in some way. Um, and we're going on my memory here, so who knows? Yep. But he did have ties to the Thule Society. Um, a lot of people say the Thule Society was more like the Bavarian Illuminati in that 
They sought to influence people. They really weren't into black magic or anything like that. Some people say, oh, no, they were sick, twisted freaks. They're more like the German version of the Hellfire Club. Right. Um, so in terms of the historical accuracy of what exactly the Thule Society was, there is a lot of speculation and not a lot of determined fact. People on both sides will say they have factual evidence that proves that the other side's crazy. Yep. Um, but truth is, we don't know. Um, it depends on which group of people you want to believe which side is true. Right. And we do know that Hitler had ties to that. So how much that influenced him or how much influence he had over that, who knows, right? I mean, there's like, um, are you familiar with the Rosicrucians? I, I, the name sounds familiar, but you're probably going to fill me in. Yeah. The Rosicrucians are a, a group that was started. They are the, the order of the, of the Rosy Cross. Yep. And they were an order that was started basically to combat the um, the Templars and the Illuminati in some way. Mm -hmm. um, and they were supposed to be on the side of angels. They, in fact, there is in, I want to say in San Jose, California, I've been there, there's a, a Rosicrucian museum that has a lot of ancient Egyptian artifacts in it and a lot of information about ancient Egypt. Yep. And... They do exist. They, they, we know 100% they currently exist as an order. Um, whether or not they actually go out at night and do battle with the evil forces of the Illuminati, who knows? But we do know that the, or the Rosicru Rosicrucian order existed and that historically they were created as an order. Of, um, whether or not they actually were at odds with the Templars, whether they were created to combat the Illuminati. That's where you get into like the paranormal aspect of that organization. Yeah. So. Okay. Another show topic, maybe. It, it could be, could be, I'd have to do more research on it so I can talk a little more intelligently about, it. but the, the Rosicrucians were involved in world war two um, in, at the very least in the French underground um, there were some Rosicrucians, of course, that were in the U.S. Armed Forces and the British Armed Forces, <clears throat> excuse me, on the, on the Allied side and among the French underground, as I said. So whether or not there was some sort of secret war that was going on under World War II, I would think that if I was someone who was making movies about, you know, vaguely occultish things in World War II, about you know, especially about a, a an archaeologist who wore a really cool hat and used a whip. That would be something I would tap into. Yeah, you'd think you would. The story think. possibilities are absolutely nuts. You would think, uh, and you know? I, it's it's one of those things where it's like, and it, it, it's a reoccurring theme on the Fedora Chronicles end as well. How come they're not making more movies about this? How come they're not making more more uh, Indiana Jones movies? Uh, well, I, you know, uh, Carl Urban has. He named his son Indiana. Yeah. So it's not because he likes the state. <laughs> he could. You know? He could. No, no, not according to him anyway. Oh, okay. So, you know, it's just, um, I think personally that would be, that would be really cool to see. Um, I would like to see them get into the more arcane aspects of what was going on in World War II because 
there is definitely that element on the side of the Nazi Germans anyway. And it would make sense, given what I've read about Winston Churchill, that he at least would be advocating, hey, if they're if they're using these myths to inspire their people, we should do similar things to inspire exactly. ours or to countermand them. Exactly. You know, so, you know, we, we, no one feels guilty about punching a Nazi as Antifa likes to say, but Nazis make for great villains. They do. In our modern society. But what we forget is at the time, they weren't necessarily thought of that way. Right. Um, the allies had no idea about the concentration camps they knew certain things. One of the things they knew was that Hitler was conducting archaeological studies in the Middle East. He was looking for the Ark of the Covenant. We know that for a fact. Yeah. Um, we know that he was also looking for Hyperborean artifacts because that's where he was drawing, that's, that's where the Third Reich concept comes from. Um, the, the Romans were, I think, the Second Reich, and he was thinking his Germany, the Nazi yeah. regime, would be the Third Reich, which begs the question of what the First Reich was. Yep. And as I understand it, you know, this is where you have some people say the people who think of him as as more of someone that was tied into these mythologies, they think it's the Hyperborean mm -hmm. um, Empire, um, which science tells us doesn't exist, you know. So it's it's interesting to me to to see things like this, especially like you said, coming from the Smithsonian for crying out loud. Um, yeah. If this was last month, I would say, okay, it's a bit of a joke by the Smithsonian. But no, the byline is not in October. Right. It's, well, it is October thirtieth. Right. right. Hey, you know, like, give it, it to, wonder. Give it, it to them. It does make you wonder. You know, give it to you know, give it to them that they were trying to be revel relevant during uh, the Halloween season. Yeah. But we're yeah, gonna. Yeah. We can go with that. We can go with that. So we're gonna finish out the show here and talk about interstellar object may have been alien probe. Harvard paper. Harvard paper argues, but experts are of course skeptical. This is from CNN. Going to read this. Stop your snickering. Stop I, your I, snickering. I, I, I have to ask. I have to ask. Go for it. What is the fascination aliens have with our asses? <laughs> I mean, this thing, it, they describe it as a cigar-shaped object. It looks like a space mm. doobie. It looks like a giant space doobie. It does. It does. It does. And there's no, no smoke coming out of it, so it kind of makes you wonder. I think that it was, uh, it's just the alien um, saying, hey, guys, it's, uh, it's time to blaze up. Let's light this joint. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to just say this. A mysterious cigar-shaped object spotted tumbling towards our solar system last year may have been an alien spacecraft sent to investigate Earth. Astronomers from Harvard University have suggested the object named, I'm not going to name, Oumuamua, meaning a messenger that reaches from the distant past in Hawaiian, was discovered in October, a year ago, October 2017, uh, by the Pan Stars One Telescope in Hawaii. Since the discovery, scientists have been at odds to explain the unusual features and precise origins, with researchers first calling it a comet, then an asteroid, before finally deeming it the first 
of its kind, a new class of, quote, interstellar object, unquote, a new paper by researchers at the Harvard-Smithsonian Center. There's a Smithsonian Smithsonian. again. Uh, For astrophysics raises the possibility that the elongated dark red object, which is 10 times as long as it is wide, traveling at speeds of 196,000 miles per hour, might have an artificial origin. And you can actually click on the show page. This is for the Paranormal News of the Week for the week uh, ending in November 10th, 2018. You can read the article yourself. We have a link to the PDF file. And the idea that Harvard is actually taking this theory seriously is to me amazing and it could this be that they're stepping out and saying hey this is it we think that this is alien or um is this like a a one giant leap towards disclosure well there is i mean if you look at the way stories and the uh, so-called um intellectual or academia is approaching artificial intelligence Mm -hmm. over the past well 20 years anyway they have been closer and closer to saying yeah they're smart there's there's aliens out there yeah there's aliens out there they're they're even i think i saw neil degrasse tyson say in an interview once that it's extremely unlikely that there is not any intelligent Mm -hmm. life out there Mm -hmm. Um, the question is how intelligent is it would we even be able to relate to it have they found us those are the questions that they say and over over the past i want to say at least 20 years they've become more and more willing to say that it's possible they have or will come visit us yeah um now what i think is funny is like there's a couple of couple of things in here the theory is based on the objects excess acceleration or an unexpected boost in speed as it traveled through and ultimately out of our solar system in january so what they're saying is this thing was traveling at speed entered our solar system then sped up and left now if it was because it got caught in the sun's gravity well and then slung shot out from it they would have mentioned that which means that its trajectory didn't accommodate for that so there was some other means of propulsion involved that allowed it to accelerate when it came into our solar system outside of using either the gravity wells created by the planets or the gravity well of the sun so it accelerated independent of that yeah it's kind of reading between the lines of that otherwise they would say it sped up because of the gravity wells they would flat out say that because that's what they've said before um, it's also interesting to note that they, this, it's not a comet because comets have tails as we know, yeah. and because they're mostly made out of ice and therefore it's not a comet. This is something that is made out of some form of metal. Um, con- and then another quote in here is considering an artificial origin. One possibility is that 
Oumama Oumuamua is a light sail floating in interstellar space as a debris from an advanced technological equipment. So they think this may be something that broke off from something even bigger. So this is just fascinating article yeah. to me. I just, I just love this thing. So I think that out of all the stories that we've done, Jay, I think this could be the story of the year in the realm of paranormal. I think this oh, could absolutely. be. This is the story of the year. Um, and the yeah. I, and and find out the direction where it came from, and put in put another space satellite like Kepler. Um, cause Ke Kepler, Kepler's mission is done. It's run out of fuel. Um, mm -hmm. and look at where it came from. See if we can spot anything and, and, and see what's there, see what's available, see what we can right. find. And I think that it, it's, it, I, it is one of those stories. Whereas now Harvard university is looking at this seriously. If it was some community college, um, somewhere else in New England, I would get. I don't know if I people would give it this level of credibility, right? But it's Harvard. It's yeah. Harvard, right? So we have we have Harvard basically saying, "Hey, there's there's UFOs." I mean, this one says again, Oumuamua has an unusual geometry inferred from its inferred from its light curve. It has low thermal emission, suggesting high reflectivity and deviation from a Keplerian orbit without any sign of a cometary tail or spin-up torques. Yep. It doesn't even have a coma of atmosphere. So all interstellar objects of a certain size have like basically almost an aura around them that is almost like an, an atmosphere. Yeah. Um, and this is not this is not because they have air. It's because as they're flying through space, they have uh, accumulated just garbage, dust particles and whatnot that are caught in the object's own gravity well. This doesn't have that. Yeah. This doesn't have that. So this is why they're thinking it might actually be that. So we have Harvard basically saying, yeah, there's smart things out there in space. And some of them are sending stuff at us, either by accident <laughs> yeah. or on purpose, we don't know. And then we have Yale on yep. the other side being like, yes, yes. And Hitler was out there with his werewolf special forces group. Yeah, exactly. You sort of imagine these people like talking, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, and uh, you know, hanging out in Yale with with their uh, uh, Brooks Brothers uh, um, suits or with their <laughs> corduroy sports jacket with the leather patches on the elbow. <laughs> and they've got their they've got their uh, their cognac in one hand and a and a Cuban cigar in the other. Is discussing these things. Listen, Jason, if we're going to go through this again, we're going to talk about being a snob. I want you to know that I only study only Germanic werewolves. I want you to know <laughs> they're only the <laughs> finest of all werewolves. Now, well, I imagine, you know, at the Skull and Bone Society, they're probably sitting there going, shit, they found us out. <laughs> <laughs> Who leaked? George? <laughs> Was it you? Was it you, George? Damn it, George. We told you to stop drinking. <laughs> now, oh I'm going to tell you, national <laughs> security and werewolves. It wasn't me. <laughs> it's serious. It's serious. I, I cannot. So basically, what, what we're seeing here is I'm just going to go out on a limb and take a jump, 
just dive in full fledged into the deep end. Head here. first. The skull and bones the skull and bones society is basically admitting that the skull they have is the skull of Geronimo that Bush senior, 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 senior stole from his grave after he had to beat him to death with a silver button that he had tied to the butt of his of his rifle because Geronimo was a werewolf. It seems legit. I know that we're making light of this because yeah. but I think that the serious aspect of this is that Harvard and Yale are doing serious studies into the paranormal. I'd like an apology, please. Right. Right. And and it's I would love to know if the government is, too. I mean, um, Ghostbusters is a funny movie, but there are valid scientists out there that are going against common scientific thought. I mean, yeah. you've got. What's his name? Graham, um, that does all the the stuff about human life on Earth is a lot older than science is saying. I think you mean Graham Hancock. Han- Graham Hancock. Hancock. Yeah, yep. You've got Graham Han- Hancock out there, and he's not a part of academia. He is basically self-taught, but clearly he knows some things about Egyptians that average lay people don't know that academics do. Um, whether or not his theories hold any water remains to be seen. But you do have an increasing number of people within academia that are willing to concede, at least, that we don't know that the prevailing thoughts on certain things may not be exactly accurate. You yeah. know, and we can maybe as a as a show topic, we could go into the history of Smithsonian. Um yep. there's in, it, the Smithsonian has an occult history to it, at least in mythology anyway, yeah. that is basically going, they exist specifically to normalize the scientific process and for consumption by the masses. And part of that normalization is that certain topics are either not discussed or not discussed seriously or given any scientific weight. Unfortunately, one of them is that the Smithsonian actually had a mandate that would not allow anyone to publish, publish any papers indicating that the First Nations people here in, in the Americas had any form of advanced society, that anything that said that the Native American tribes were anything more than savages, they actively worked against up until at least the 1900s. Um, and that's that's just a fact. That's that is not actually in dispute. Yeah. So um, it's interesting to me that we that would be a, a topic we could go into because that's that would easily fill at least an hour. But yeah. It is interesting to me to see that you know you've got Harvard and Yale, CNN even are out there and they're basically bringing up topics that normally you'd only see on coast to coast AM. Right. You know. I think it's it's craziness that, that that this is the age that we're living in right now, and this is the this I is think a, it's awesome. This is a great place for us to leave off the show because I mean, uh, you know, what more can you say? It, this is exciting um, that yes. that these Ivy League colleges, universities are looking into these fascinating topics. It could be that they are finally opening up their eyes, or we've actually worn them down. I think I'm inclined to say it's more the latter. Yeah. Because if if we've actually worn them down, they would never admit it. Maybe. Maybe. Um. I it. 
it seems to me that something they found something 20 some odd years ago i want to say it was more than 20 years ago because you know there's the discovery there's the investigation and then there's the realization and that takes time i think something was discovered or found out 20 some odd years ago 20 or 30 years ago and all of the higher ups in academia basically went well shit now what and what we're seeing now is a result of that discovery yep that's just a feeling i have um, that's not based on anything other than a bunch of little small factoids that I've seen, stories that have come out, the prevalence of what would normally be occult or paranormal things that are coming out in more mainstream um, areas, including the Ancient Aliens show that yeah. was on the History Channel or Discovery or whatever the hell it was. Um, so that's the fact that the the more paranormal thoughts and and stories that are out there are starting to become more mainstream yeah is interesting in and of itself i think it's indicative of something and i think we're gonna see things happening in the future yeah um you know we could go into various different occult th theories about you know the the poles are going to shift the magnetic poles are going to shift and we don't know what impact that's going to have it's yeah. just going to be interesting. Um, it's going to be a, it's it's going to be fascinating and terrifying, and and that, oh, it is, yeah, it is because is it going to take, is it going to happen instantaneously? Is it going to happen over time? Some theories say that it's going to happen. It'll take take place in you know like a snap of a fingers, which in geo geological time is like five years. Um, some another theory states that north and south are going to be in various different places all around the globe for a little while and then they'll normalize out so that what is currently magnetic north will become magnetic south and what is currently magnetic south will become magnetic north um yeah but how is that going to affect us because our magnetic field shields us from a lot of radiation from the sun it shields us from a lot of uh, small space debris gets yep. deflected by it um just on pure science they don't know what that's going to do but here's another thing. What if Graham Hancock is right? What if Graham Hancock is saying that, you know, we have these civilizations that are hundreds of thousands of years old and humankind has been in existence on this earth over that time and the myths and legends of werewolves and vampires and dragons, all of that stuff exists because when those magnetic poles shift, that means that the world starts working differently and we reverse from being a science-based world to being a more magical-based world. What if that's the way it is? Yeah. Either way, it's going to be it's going to be an interesting few decades, I think. Yeah. And, and I'd like to believe that we're actually doing something here on this podcast to just push it along a little more. So, Jay, so. Jay thanks for another great show. What a great week. And... Um, We'll, we'll do this again real soon. All right. Sounds good, Eric. Thanks a lot. This has been the Metaphysical Connection podcast from the Fedora Chronicles Network. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast via iTunes, Google Play, or Player FM. You can find our podcast via your Apple, Android, or Windows devices using those services and more. If your favorite podcast service or program doesn't feature us, let us know by shooting us an email via info at thefedorachronicles.com. You can be a part of the Metaphysical Connection by subscribing to the Fedora Chronicles Network on Twitter through at Fedora Chronicle. 
There you will find jazz era counterculture, vintage threads, lost history, conspiracies, the paranormal, and space news. You can also join our Facebook group at facebook.com groups, The Metaphysical Connection. Both platforms are great ways to join our growing community, connect with other friends of the show, and find out what's coming up in next week's episode. Most importantly, you can support the show by hitting the Patreon button on all of our show pages, metaphysicalpodcast.com. Patreons of the show get specials such as getting the podcast a day before the rest of the audience, heads up about future episodes, and other exclusives. Want some Metaphysical Connection swag of your own? Get your own damn Metaphysical Connection coffee mugs, t-shirts, keychains, and barbecue aprons at our Zazzle page. My house is full of them, yours should be too. Find them at www.zazzle.com slash Fedora Chronicles. Don't forget to check out our show sponsor, the Trinity Whip Company. Traditionally made kangaroo whips, top quality craftsmanship, in form as well as function. Handcrafted by Blake Brunning. Find his products at www.trinitywhipco.com. This is Carol Fisk thanking you for listening and signing off. Until next time, keep your chin up and your bra, excuse me, fedora on. <laughs>